0: I'm glad you're here today, and I'm glad you're here today, too, because we have God's Word to share together and think together. Have you noticed that there's a theme every Sunday? Have you noticed that? Have you picked up on that? Uh, Robin does a wonderful job of choosing music that ties in with the theme of the day. What's the theme of the day? Give thanks. And so the songs have talked about that. But, you know, there's a third leg of this that some of you are not uh, being exposed to, and that's at 930. Uh, Every week during this uh, series on the book of Colossians, uh, I prepare a discussion guide for our groups on the very passage that I'm going to be covering in the morning sermon. And so you have a chance to kind of talk about it, think about it, digest some of it, And then you come in and sing about it, and then you listen to my sermon about it, and if we're fortunate, you might remember it during the week. But the more you can be exposed to these truths, the more you will remember, and the more the Lord will be able to apply to your life, and the more your life will be transformed. So that's my prayer for you. I invite you to come at 930, and we have, uh, for adults, we have... uh, Uh, Two adult groups that meet uh, around those scriptures, and the teens are also discussing it, and so uh, we invite you to be involved in that. Our theme for the book of Colossians, and I invite you to turn there in your Bible, is above all, Jesus. And next week, I'm going to take a little break, and uh, Robin is going to be preaching to you, and he's going to be able to uh, share with you a wonderful passage of Scripture from the end of the first chapter. So I invite you to come back for that. And uh, he's working diligently to uh, prepare for his ministry to you next week. Our theme today, of course, as I've already said, is give thanks. I want to read to you, uh, beginning with verse 9 this morning, verses 9 through 14, And I'm reading to you out of the New American Standard Translation, and I invite you to follow along whatever translation you have in your hands. Paul writes to the believers at Colossae, and he says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance Of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In verse 9, the Apostle Paul uh, continues to pray for these believers. And uh, in his prayer, there are three qualities that he prayed that they would demonstrate in their lives. And they would demonstrate these because God gave them spiritual wisdom, and that spiritual wisdom that God gave them would transform their lives. And so these qualities that would would show up in their lives and people would see them. The first is found in verse 10. It says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The first... uh, quality that he prayed that they would have is fruitfulness, verse 10. You say, well, what is fruitfulness? Well, fruitfulness, according to Scripture, he says, in, in every good work, doing good in the name of the Lord is fruit that we produce in our lives. Uh, and it's interesting that that kind of thought is carried through in Ephesians chapter 2, In verse 10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's what? Workmanship. You are God's project. He's at work in your lives. For what purpose? That you might be able to do good works. What are the good works? Well, that's ministering to other people, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, demonstrating the character of Jesus Christ and how you interact with people and how you do your job. Those are good works. And that's the purpose of God working in you. And when did God decide that that's what he wanted you to do? He prepared in advance. And in that passage... In Ephesians 2, it talks clear back about eternity past. God had you in mind. God had me in mind. And it wasn't just so that we would receive salvation, but that we would live our lives with a purpose. And that purpose is to represent Jesus Christ in this world and to do what God refers to as good works. So fruitfulness is the first thing that he prays for for them. The second thing is that they might have power, that you might be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Power. You might be strengthened by his power. I found a couple verses this week. I was thinking about Acts eight. The Lord Jesus promised his disciples and us. He says, you'll receive what? Power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The idea of power there is ability. He says to them, you are going to be able to go and share the gospel with people because I'm going to give you the ability through the Holy Spirit who will indwell you. And that promise continues 2,000 years later. The Lord has never rescinded that. And quite frankly, you and I cannot do an effective job of giving people the gospel without the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. I remember early on in my relationship with the Lord when I was actually a college student, and I can remember one day a, a guy at the gas station where I was working, Hancock Gasoline. Anybody remember Hancock Gasoline? That's a long time ago. And I worked at a little rundown gas station in uh, El Cerrito, California, where I was going to college. And uh, I had a guy I worked with that was not a believer. And so he started asking questions. And I can remember just excuse me, having the sense that God was giving me, words to say there were verses that I had memorized as a child that came flooding into my mind and he would have a question or some kind of objection and I would be able to answer it with scripture because God did that and you and I need that kind of power we need that kind of ability in our lives to be able to effectively live and to be effectively share the good news with other people We try to force it or we try to, like I talked about last week, argue people into the kingdom. We're just going to hit the wall. We've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading when it's the right time to present the gospel. And we have to rely upon him to give us the words to say. And uh, he's promised us that. I found also another passage in Scripture. It's not on the screen. I'll read it to you. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Paul writes to the Ephesian believers, and he prays for them as well. And he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. When Paul writes and says, my prayer for you is that you might know God's power in your life and you might be strengthened by his power. What kind of power is it? You know, it's kind of like looking at a battery. You know, batteries have different wattages connected with them or different amps, depending if it's a car battery. Uh, some batteries are AAA, some are AA, A, some are C, some are D. They have more power in them. They have more storage space. What is the power like that the Lord promises to us? Well, according to Ephesians 1.18, it is the same power that he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. Now, if Paul prays that the Ephesians would know that, might experience it, that means that God wants us to have it. There's no excuse for us to say, well, I just didn't have the strength or the ability to do that or live this way. Because God says, no, I'll give you what you need. Whatever your need is for power, for strength, I will supply it to you. That's why Paul writes and says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So Paul prays for them that they might not only be fruitful believers and do good works, that they might be able to experience god 's power so they would have the ability to do those good works, and then we come to our think today our theme today, Thanksgiving uh, in verses twelve through fourteen it talks about uh, joyously giving thanks to the Father uh Giving thanks with joy. I think that if we really have joy in the Lord, we will automatically be thankful people. Thankfulness, thanksgiving is the natural expression of of having a relationship with the Lord that gives us joy in the inside. You know, joy is expressed in a different way. Some people go around all the time with a silly grin on their face. And I say that because I don't. I'm one of those serious-minded Norwegians. Some people express joy with, yes. That's kind of the way I do it. I don't always go around going, yes, but on the inside. Motivated by joy, it is thanksgiving motivated by joy in our relationship with the Lord. So Paul prays that they'll have these three qualities. I suggest to you we need those same three qualities today. It hasn't changed. And I believe that it's God's purpose and God's will that we would, uh, personally today, 2,000 years later, uh, have these same qualities in our lives. I've got too many things hanging off my ear here. How about you? Bearing fruit? You're doing things in your life for the Lord that you know are things He's given you to do and given you the ability to do because He's given you the ability, the power to do it. Experiencing His power in your life. How about Thanksgiving? You do it you know, one day a year between football games or is it something that is an expression of your life on a day-to-day basis? How do you start your day? Well, Pastor, I just kind of crawl out of bed. I'm just be well, what do you do after that? Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks for He has given Jesus Christ, His Son. Now, what he's going to do in the next verses are give us three reasons for thanksgiving. And it's interesting how they naturally flow out of this passage. There are three things. First of all, it says in this passage that he has qualified us. We'll talk about that in a moment. He has delivered us and he has transferred us. So let's take a look at those things together. The first is he has qualified us. In verse 12, for he did for uh, yeah, verse 12, give thanks to the father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 13, look at these words with me. He says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, You have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. How has he qualified us? Well, by his grace, God reached out to us through Jesus Christ. And he qualified us for something to receive an inheritance. Now the passage in Ephesians 2 we just looked at from the New Living Translation said that as Gentiles we were separated from God and his kingdom. But now because of Jesus and his sacrifice and his work on the cross, we are qualified to be included in those promises. We have been qualified to receive the inheritance that he had promised Israel. And 1 Peter 1 4 says that we have been saved and been, been given into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. And you can receive an inheritance from your parents or somebody else, maybe a rich uncle, don't you wish? Those inheritances spoil and fade and pass away. The inheritance the Lord has provided for us through Jesus Christ is eternal. It will never perish, spoil, or fade. And God has it reserved for us in heaven. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to include this today as well. Blessed be the God and Father... "...of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ." How many spiritual blessings reserved for us in heaven? Everyone. "...just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love, He predestined us to to adoption as sons." Through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved One, meaning Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches, Of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Because of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, God has qualified us to receive an inheritance that he has prepared for us. Paul says, give thanks, because that's yours. It's got your name on it. Now, what's interesting is we look at these three phrases, qualified, delivered, and transferred. In the original language of the New Testament, those words mean a once-for-all action. It doesn't mean it's pie in the sky by and by. In the mind of God, it's a done deal. That's what that means. And so God has provided for us, and it is there for us. We should thank God in advance for it, that one day it will be ours. In other passages, he says the inheritance he's prepared for us, that we have a proof in our lives that he's going to give it to us. You know what that proof is? He says it's the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. If you are a believer, you have God in you. And God in you is the pledge, the down payment, the earnest that God will one day provide for you, that inheritance he's reserved for you in heaven. I used to think when I was younger that when I retired and started drawing Social Security every month the government would go and pull the month's money out of the drawer with my name on it in Washington D.C. and then mail it to me. I since have learned that that isn't the case. In fact the government's already spent it. But what God's inheritance for you and me is it's there. And our name's on it. Okay? We're already included in it. It's a done deal. So give thanks for it in advance. You say, well, pastor, man, life is tough. I don't have enough. Well, someday you will. And it won't be money. Second thing he says we should give thanks for is not only... Qualified us, but he has delivered us, in verse 13, from the kingdom of darkness. He's delivered us from the kingdom of darkness. That is the kingdom that is Satan's authority. There are two kingdoms being lived out in the world, and these two kingdoms have two separate kings. One is the Lord, and one is Satan. Satan is called, in other passages, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work. And the children of disobedience. Satan has an agenda. His agenda is to oppose the work of God in this world. To advance his kingdom. And right now his kingdom is really making hay. But he knows he's got to make hay while the sun shines. Because the day is coming when his kingdom's going to end. And the king of kings and lord of lords is going to come back and establish his kingdom. But there's a sense in which the kingdom of Christ is already in existence. And that's the kingdom we have been transferred into, which we will see in a moment. But first of all, he had to deliver us from something. We had to be delivered from being under Satan's authority and being slaves to what what he wanted us to do with our lives. Now, when the Lord delivered us, he didn't just leave us dangling out there in uh, cyberspace. He took us through the sacrifice of Christ when we believed in Christ as our Savior. He transferred us into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. We have... We're not just out there dangling in cyberspace. He's taken us out of this kingdom. He's placed us in a new kingdom, and that is the kingdom under the authority of a new king. And that king is the Lord Jesus Christ. How did he do this? Well, we're told in the passage that Christ's sacrifice redeemed us. The word redeemed is a good Bible word. It means to free from slavery by paying a price or paying a ransom. And the ransom that was required by God's law was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. How was sin atoned for in the Old Testament? Do you remember? God established a sacrificial system. When people sinned or when people in your family sinned and you were the dad, you were responsible to come and offer a sin offering to the Lord. And the Lord accepted the death of that animal as a payment for the sin of that person. And the per- reason in the Old Testament for the emphasis on blood was that the shedding of the blood was the symbol that the life had been given, that the payment had been made. And so you have that emphasis in the Old Testament and the New Testament on the blood. In the New Testament, the blood of Jesus Christ as the payment for the sins of the world, for your sin and for mine. Ephesians 1.7 says, We have redemption, how? Through His Blood, the forgiveness of our sins. That's why it's necessary for us to respond by faith in what Christ has done for us. Because people who refuse to put their trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ are somehow betting on the fact that they're going to be good enough to satisfy God's justice on their own. The problem with that is that there is only one payment that God accepts. That's the payment made by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And that's why the good news of the gospel is this is what Jesus has done. He's paid the price. He has paid the ransom. Now your responsibility is to believe, to trust in his payment for your sin. And that's the response that God accepts. So you have, the, you have the opportunity in your life to either do it God's way and put your trust in Christ's sacrifice or try to do it your own way. But the Bible says that all of our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. The best I can do isn't good enough. Because only Jesus was the sinless sacrifice who was qualified to pay the ransom. That's why the scriptures emphasize he did no sin. God made him who had no sin to what? Be sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God through him. And when we trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we accept the payment that Jesus made to satisfy the price that God's law required. We are set free from Satan's kingdom and brought into Jesus' kingdom. Now you may be here today and you maybe you've never put your faith, your trust in Christ's sacrifice for you. You may say, You mean I'm under I'm I'm under the Satan's authority? And the answer according to Scripture is yeah you are. But the problem is we think that Satan's authority is always this overt, terrible evil like being a member of ISIS or you know being this terrible womanizer or whatever the case may be. Satan has a pretty much respectable kingdom. There are a lot of respectable good people that are still under his authority and in his kingdom. And he keeps them blinded to the fact that they are sinners. I have people in my oikos who are really, really good people who aren't believers that are not in Christ's kingdom yet. And it's really difficult sometimes to talk to them about Salvation because they don't really sense that they have a need because they see themselves as being good, moral people. And they are. But unfortunately, that's not what God accepts. He accepts one thing, and that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Not depending on our own righteousness to be accepted by God, but trusting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf. So even if you're a good, moral, upstanding person, you haven't been transferred into Christ's kingdom yet, that's what you need to do. And you may need to make the decision and the commitment to do what God said through Jesus Christ, who said, for God so loved the world that he gave. His one and only Son. That's me, Jesus said. That whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. The result is this, my friends. We are no longer under sin's control. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Because you've been taken from one kingdom and transferred into another, you don't have to be a slave to sin. God will give you the power, the strength, according to the passages in Romans 6 and 7, to say no to sin and yes to God. A Christian has no business saying, well, I just couldn't help myself. Well, in your own strength, no, you couldn't. That God has said, here's my power, here's my strength, trust in me. I will give you the ability to say no to sin and yes to me. We are no longer under sin's control, and we are no longer under Satan's control. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 7. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And this is what we're going to read together. I guess we're not going to read it together. I'll read it to you. In which you formerly lived. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ why in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us through Christ Jesus we are no longer under satan's control we have been delivered my friends For that reason, give thanks. We are free to live as children of the living God. Why does God set us free? To be able to live our lives totally independent of him and do whatever we want and say, well, I've trusted in Christ as my Savior, and God's told me I'm going to go to heaven by and by when I die. And uh, I can live any way I want. No. First of all, that's not why God saved you, delivered you. He did it so that you you would do good works. And you might reflect the righteous character of Jesus while you lived in this world. He didn't set you free to be what you want to be. He set you free to be what He designed you to be. Finally, there is no freedom without Jesus. No Jesus? You're not qualified to share in the inheritance, inheritance that He has set aside in heaven. Without Jesus, you haven't been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. Without Jesus, you have not been transferred into the wonderful kingdom of his dear son. The good news is, today you can trust in the payment he made. And he'll set you free. You know, that's... I I just think of the news. I, I watch probably more news than I should. And I find that after a while my attitude goes, you know. If there's ever news that the world needs, it's the good news of Jesus. sin is bondage. Satan's kingdom is bondage. There is only freedom in one person. And that is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but By or through me? Have you trusted personally in the payment that he made because he made it for you? Would you bow with me in prayer, please? As uh, you are praying, I would like you to search your heart today. My friend, have you been set free? God wants you to be. God doesn't want you to live your life in bondage to sin. He doesn't want you to live your life as Satan's puppet. He wants to set you free. And as you've heard me already say repeatedly, there's only one way that can happen. You not only do not have the ability within yourself to provide forgiveness for yourself, you do not have within yourself the ability to change. But God can change your life. He's been doing it for 2,000 years. And he wants to do it for you today. If God has somehow nudged you today and said, hey, right now, today, I want you to put your trust in me. In the sacrifice of my son to set you free. I invite you to pray with me right now. Dear God. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need a savior. I believe that Jesus is that savior. And today I choose to trust in his sacrifice for me. I thank you, Lord, that because of Jesus' sacrifice, you will forgive me. And I believe that because of Jesus' sacrifice, you'll set me free. And I pray this in his name. Amen.